God is always good to each of us, and thankful for that truth tonight. If you have your lesson sheet there, you can take that out and look to John chapter 15 in your Bible. <clears throat> John chapter 15, and have your lesson sheet. And uh, you see there the title, it says, Friendship for the Gospel, and it gives the quote from our verse tonight, I have called you friends. And we're going to look at what the Lord says about that. Now, we have studied for a number of weeks, and I will say it wasn't my exact intention for us to be away from our adult classes quite quite for this length of time. We've had two series that we've walked through, and this one just continued to extend as I've talked to some of you and um, even just some private conversation and just um, some discipleship that some of you all have had and different things and just recognizing, seeing our need to understand this and grow and strengthen ourselves in this. And so we've stayed here a little longer than initially planned at first, but I hope that it's been helpful to you. Uh, the man that wrote this book, I'll tell you about some things that are upcoming in the next year or so. The man that wrote this book, the exchange book, um, Jeff Musgrave is his name, and uh, he will come and he does seminars, whether it's like kind of a five-day thing, a three-day thing, or they can even pack it sort of into a weekend where um, they ask people to come for a few hours on Saturday, and there's kind of a lunch in the middle, and then a few hours on Sunday after the morning service, and he kind of walks through some of this, even in a more specific way, and I've, I've listened through some of it, and it, the goal is not necessarily always to get everybody in the church to come to that, though we want to, that would be great, the goal is for those that are very serious about applying this right away um, <clears throat> and and seeing it implemented in our lives on a regular basis. He kind of comes and just helps uh, coach through some of those things and, and just uh, walk through not not the exact study and not the exact things that we have done. Um, but I've already he, he contacted me when we ordered some of the books and it's something we discussed. And so uh, about a year or so from now, we're looking at having him come for a kind of a day or day and a half, and it would kind of be a good reminder for us probably by then, but he does an even much better job of sort of uh, simplifying some of this and making it applicable, and he does it in sort of a seminar-type uh, forum, and uh, so that's that'll be exciting. We have that coming up. Um, some, some people have asked what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks before Christmas, and there's four Sundays until we get to our Christmas. Now, some of you are looking at me with huge eyes like, Christmas is in four Sundays. No, not Christmas in four Sundays. There's four Sundays until we get to December 18th. That evening we're having sort of a Christmas um, time, a celebration together where we're going to have a number of people like we did last year prepare instrumental music and vocal music and uh, maybe some handbells and different things that we'll have that <clears throat> evening. That's December 18th and then December 25th is actual Christmas. <clears throat> so on those two evenings, we won't have our kind of normal uh, times. And then once we start the new year, we're going to start back into our uh, adult classes, the way that we've been doing that, and breaking up into four or five groups and classes and a number of different topics and uh, different teachers. But so, several of us, what we're doing in the next four weeks, well, for the next four Sunday nights, <clears throat> what we're looking at doing, we're having what we're going to call I don't know what you call them. We're calling just to make them a little distinct from everything else. We're calling them uh, some Sunday seminars. And what we're going to do is several ask some different questions or thoughts or different things. And I think that it's good every now and then to just address some ideas or topics. And what we'll do is each Sunday evening we'll have either two 
different seminars or classes. Some nights we'll have three, just depending on what the topic of it is. But for instance, here's some of the topics that we're going to be addressing, and then you can pick and go to which one you would like. And then we'll go back to our adult study groups, and then we'll do that through the spring. And then we'll probably come back and do these. Uh, We'll do another three or four nights where we do these topics and kind of let you look at some things. But for instance, an example of some of the things that we'll be talking about is decision-making. How do we as Christians make decisions in a biblical way? Uh, We're going to do one on, a small one on uh, grief and hurting, pain in our lives that comes from loss or that comes from grief. Uh, We actually are probably going to be having an adult Bible study group based on this. And just want you to think about this. I was talking with someone the other day, another pastor, and said, since I've been here as pastor, um, there have been 22 funerals from within our church congregation. And not all of those are directly in, but more than half of them are, are directly involved members of our church. And that is, for any size church, that is significant. But for a church our size, not huge, but not necessarily tiny either. That is a significant number of people. And uh, what we know from that is with every loss, there is pain and there is uh, struggle that comes with that. So how do we handle that biblically, but not even just studying it, but just offering an opportunity for encouragement and um, just for release, if you would, for some of us that have that have experienced that or maybe know somebody that has experienced it. But we'll have one in the next few weeks on that, but then also a class coming up in the future. We'll have one on stewardship, um, how we steward our resources, whether that's our finance or just even in general the things that God has given to us. Uh, We're have one night where we discuss media, and by that I mean all forms of media, social media, TV, what we hear, what we see, uh, news outlets, all those things. And uh, we're going to do one night on that. We'll record them so you can, if you can't just pick one, you can go back and listen to it. But we'll, we'll discuss one of them be media and our kids. Uh, how do we handle that? Whether it's your kids or your grandkids, how do we handle media and our kids and the influence that it has in our lives? There will be one that talks about media and our minds. And how do we guard our minds? The same way we want to guard our kids from um, things that would hinder growth spiritually, we should want to guard our own minds from things that would hinder us. And that could be something that is uh, disturbing. It could be something that is just negative. It could be uh, something that is would cause us to lust or that direction. Or it could just be the negativity that comes from being constantly bombarded by uh, things like that. So that'll be one evening that we have that. And then we're going to do a couple uh, nights that deal with just some questions. And here's what I want you to do, a little bit of feedback. I, I did this a lot with the teenagers. About once a year, I'd take four weeks, and I would just ask the teenagers, just give me some questions. It could be about something spiritual, something significant that ties to something spiritual. You know, that, those were some of the best questions I remember getting on that level. And so then we would address it. And that was sort of born out of, I came across a study that talked about some very famous celebrities and different things that had grown up in Christian churches, particularly even some Christian churches very much like ours, that had walked away from it. I'll give you an example. Oprah is one that has uh, said this. Um, Marilyn Manson is another one that has said that grew up in churches very similar to ours, but walked away from their Christian faith and from the church because they said, and here's summarizing what they said, 
I had questions and no one seemed to want to answer them or address them. They just ignored them. And uh, so we want to do that. We want to address some questions. And so if you have a question, if you have a little corner of your page that you can tear off uh, tonight, or I'll even permit you to, I was going to say use an offering envelope, but if you can do it on a scrap piece of paper, use a scrap piece of paper and just write a question. You don't have to put your name on it. You can if you want. Um, for instance, if we don't if we don't get to it in this session, but it's a question that you would like answered, I might be able to direct you to some resources on it. But you don't have to put your name on it if you don't like. And you can drop that in the offering box in the back, or give it to myself, turn in the offering, and we may be able to add one or two of those questions in. But for instance, how do I talk to my kids, or could be grandkids, but particularly those responsible for that? How do I talk to my kids about difficult things, and um, f- specifically focusing on uh, gender and sexuality and how culture handles and deals with those things because they are being addressed whatever age you think they're being addressed it's younger it's it's almost certainly younger than that and so if someone else gets our kids ears to some of those things and even just spirituality um, and you say well how are we going to address that it, it's not coming from somebody that has mastered it all we're going to learn some of those things together Joy and I have even been trying to handle some of those things on our own and, and, and how to walk through some of that. So how do we te- speak to our kids about those things? The question like, where was God when that happened? And um, that addresses hardship, turmoil in our world. And that's a question that society often asks. If there is a God, then where was He when this happened? And if He was there and He was in control, what kind of God is He that lets this happen? And uh, so we're going to address some of those things. Over the next few Sunday nights, there will be two, sometimes three topics and uh, you'll kind of pick which one you go to, most likely in here or a classroom or two in the gym. And so that's some things that are coming up. And then have a missions conference that we've uh, scheduled in the earlier part of the year. And then uh, an evangelist that we scheduled for a revival service in September. And so just a number of things coming up uh, that we can be praying about. But that's kind of the direction, at least for the next uh, few weeks. All right, look at John chapter 15 for a moment, if you would. And John 15, and I'll try to remember to speak up a little bit because uh, we're going to have to order a cable to help um, enable our speaker on this side. And so if you just cannot hear me, you can put your... Now, if you always have trouble hearing me, don't worry about that. But if it's because I'm not speaking loud enough, you can put your hand to your ear. I'll try to speak up a little bit tonight. Here's what I want you to do. With whoever you're sitting near for a few minutes tonight, we have a couple opening uh, questions that you can write down some things and discuss. At the end tonight, we'll kind of try to break into some groups of four or five uh, together to discuss a couple things in short manner. But I want you to take number one intro discussion question without reading our passage, without thinking about anything else. And I just want you to jot down, what makes a good friend? And you can jot a couple things down if you want to work with the person beside you, if that's your spouse or a friend or somebody that's near you. What makes... A good friend in your mind. Now, there's no wrong answers here. I'm not going to call anybody out and say, ah, you don't know what friendship is. It doesn't have any. It's not a gotcha question. But what comes to mind when you think of a good friend? What qualifies someone as being a friend? And you'd say, this is my friend. And and they're not just a friend. They're good at being a friend. We'll say it that way. What makes somebody good at being a friend? They do friendship well. And there's, you can write down just descriptive words. You can write down an illustration if you'd like. You can write down a few different things there. But what makes a good 
friend. All right, and if you are extremely studious and fast, then you can start working on that second question as well. What are some words that you quickly think of after hearing words like the following? Gospel, salvation, evangelism, witness. We've talked a lot about the gospel the last 10 weeks or so. Evangelism and and speaking and teaching others about Christ. What are some words that pop into your mind? When I say salvation, gospel, witness, evangelism, world missions, whatever it may be, the Great Commission, what are some words that come into your mind initially when we say those two things? So you can write those things down. I'll ramble on for another 30 seconds or so while you write them down and you can discuss them. Um, this is like a, it's like a free cheating quiz you can discuss with your classmates. I had a professor in college that did that one time. He said, we're not having open book quiz, but we're having open discussion quiz. And he said, how much do you trust your classmates? And he said, you cannot look at a book and you cannot look at a notebook, but you can talk as much as you want in the next hour. And he said, we'll see how you've done it, learned as a class. And he quizzed us that way. It was a pretty interesting way to do it. Um, I didn't score perfectly, but I just blamed it on everybody else because of that. So um, you can discuss those things. All right. All right, you can throw out a few things to me. What makes a good friend? Somebody could just you can raise your hand and you can call it out. I'm nothing too formal. What do you think? Yes. Trust. All right, what else? A good listener. That's a good one. What else? Anybody? Yes. Yeah, they, they, you don't have to put up a front. They like you for who you are. Anyone else? How well they cook, what kind of treats they bring. I mean, nothing like that, okay. Uh, they have mints in church, you know, that makes a good friend, whatever. Anyone else to add to that? Yes. Okay, always being there. Availability, right? Yes, a friend is not a friend if you don't ever get to be around them. Uh, what else? Yes. Yes, it's not one-sided. <laughs> Your friendship is not, you don't feel clingy because they seem to enjoy being around you as well. And so here, here's some things that I jotted down and, and I came across an article online that listed 11 things that make a good friend and some of them are good, some of them are interesting. It said loyalty, listening, we mentioned those, you can count on them, dependability. Um, spending time with them makes me feel good. Um, that's an interesting one. They have empathy and toward me. Contagious confidence. Those are power words. It says, you know, they, they make me feel confident about being their friend. They make me laugh. Uh, they're non-judgmental. They're low maintenance, meaning I don't have to work hard to keep the relationship as being a friend. And those are all fine things. Nothing horrible with that. That's kind of the way our culture thinks about friendship. But I want you to keep those in your mind. Those are, not, those are not bad descriptors, but in Jesus' day, when Jesus lived, we're going to show you in a moment, there was really, it was refined even much more than that. There was really just a couple things that they would say really qualified somebody for being a good friend. We're going to talk about those in just a moment. And now this word relation exercise. What are some words you think of when you hear of the gospel, salvation, evangelism, witnessing? What are some other words that you think of? They don't have to be synonyms. It could just be that go along with that. Anybody? Jesus. That's a really good one to go with gospel and salvation. Anybody else? Holy Spirit. What else? Those are good. 
disciples, discipleship, teaching. We have words like redemption, atonement, justification, other ways that you can phrase out what does it mean to be saved, discipleship, missions. So it's another one someone said. Anybody else? There's no wrong answers. All right, those are good. Those are all good. But notice one thing that you did not hear. You didn't hear friendship. All right, when we, we talked about friendship and what that means, and we talked about salvation, the gospel, and what that means, but we don't always link those two. And I'll, my goal tonight for the next, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes or so is just to show you the relation that Jesus makes between these two things and to wrap up our study by saying true friendship will be described by people that share fully, for the Christian, they share fully what God has given them with those that they consider their friends. And I want us to wrap up this study with that. I think it's significant. You see, for a number of weeks we've been discussing how can we witness to the world around us specifically through relationships and relationship building. It doesn't mean we only give the gospel to those that we already have relationship with, that's not what this point of the study has been. But the point of the study has been beyond that. Beyond just knocking on somebody's door or meeting someone out in public, but going well beyond that and say, I want to build a relationship with this person with the full intent that I know that they need the gospel. And that they may not trust in Christ or they may not come to Him by my one conversation with them or my sporadic conversation with them. It may be built out of a relationship with them. It's been one of our focus, and we've looked at that concept specifically, that people don't know God or know even about God in today's world in the way that they have maybe even in the past couple centuries. I want you to notice in John chapter 15, but here's the question we're going to ask. Is giving the gospel through relationship, all right, ask yourself this question, giving the gospel out of friendship with others, is that a spiritual concept? Meaning, is that a scriptural concept? Is that something that we're just trying to do in a novel way, new, like we're just trying to do something a little different? Salvation worked this way for a long time, and now we just need something else, so we've got to try to do it through relationships? Or is this exemplified for us in the Bible? I think we're going to see tonight that it is done just that. Look at John chapter 15. Look at verse 12. Four simple verses for us tonight. Jesus, speaking to His disciples, says this, This is My commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a, that's a pretty stout command, is it not? So then He describes, He doesn't just say, love as I loved you. Now He goes on to explain it. Greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are My friends, and if you, do whatso- if you do whatsoever, I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now, would you say tonight that Jesus is a good example of love? Yes or no? Yes. Here, he is calling his disciples his friends, and ultimately those that come to faith in him, he's calling. He is our friend, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He is our friend. Would you say that, we've said that Jesus loves well. Would you also say that Jesus is a good friend? 
Yes or no? Yes, in his physical life on earth and then also spiritually to us. He is a good friend. So what concepts of friendship can we learn from Jesus tonight with the goal of our friendships and relationships with others and bringing people to the gospel? I want you to notice it says the Greek word for friend here is philos, or it's the same as the verb form phileo. Think Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Philos the word friend, philos, and the word phileo, same basic root word, it's love. And Jesus, or the, the language is teaching us, they're basically, they're interchangeable. That This is a, a love and a friendship that is affectionate one toward another. And he, he uses those words at some points interchangeably throughout the New Testament that we are friends and that we are loving toward one another. And he says we should be friends and we should love. He even commands us to love our enemies on top of loving one another. So then it's good. He commands us to love as he's loved. Well, how has he loved us? He's loved us as a friend loves. Well, how does a real friend love? What makes a real friend? Well, the nice thing is Jesus is going to give us a description here in that he shows his friendship by giving his own life and by giving the knowledge of God that he has. He shares that with his friends. That's his two qualifiers. That's his two ways that he describes. So think about it for a moment and let that set in. How do we love others and how are we true friends with others? Jesus says, here is how I am your friend. I will lay my life down for you and I have told you everything that God has revealed to me. Now, I want you to think, are we good friends? Now, this concept, I want you to, to think about it for a moment. This concept in Jesus' day would really, it would not have been very uncommon. Now, we gave examples of what it means to be a friend a moment ago. Loyalty, they're a good listener, they make me feel good, they love me for who I am. And all those are fine things that should come with real friendship. But in Jesus' day, the two things he mentions here are not novel to him. These would not have been shocking to the disciples. In fact, if you read... Uh, Hellenistic philosophy, Greek philosophy, and Roman philosophy, you read them all, they have this theme within friendship. I don't read Aristotle and Plato or Lucian very often, but in studying for tonight, I did a little bit, was reading some of it this afternoon. You can search out what, they, what those philosophers said about friendship. And this was a very common mindset, was that a real friend is qualified by a few things, but mainly two. Willingness to die for their friend, that was one, and frank speaking, that was the other. That, and that was very common. This is not something that Jesus' day would have been shocked by. This was very common within their culture. Well, what makes a really good friend? The people that Jesus is speaking to, His apostles, the disciples, those that were from Rome around Him, in their writings and in their culture, their society, their day, that's what a real friend was. A real friend is willing to die for their relationship and a real friend is willing to just tell it like it is. To speak frankly and to share without flattery, but to speak openly and truthfully and honestly. And the word that they would even use for that type of friendship is they'd speak in a way holding nothing back. Alright, so maybe you see where we're going with this a little bit tonight. Jesus says, yes, that's exactly what friendship is. But he says where culture, his culture, falls short is that people would say they're willing to die for their friendship, but very few would actually do it. And that people would say they're a real friend because they speak plainly, but their speech is even limited. 
But Jesus says, yes, that's exactly what a real friend is. Watch, this is how I'm a friend to you. I am willing to lay down my life for you, and I am willing to tell you, frankly speak to you, the truth. That's what qualifies him as being a good friend. Now, let's ask ourselves the question tonight. The people that you say you are friends with, the people that we are share a relationship with in this world, it could be our spouse, it could be your kids, your co-workers, your neighbors, the person you've known growing up all throughout your life. Are you a real friend? Are you willing to sacrifice for them in the, in the example of laying down your life? We're going to go to that in a moment. Jesus speaks even further than that. Are you willing to sacrifice for a friend? And then the, what I really want to focus on tonight is, are you willing to speak plainly to them? Because a real friend, Jesus says, does not hold back. Notice what he says in verse 15. I have called you friends. That would be, can you imagine being in Jesus' presence? Son of God, creator of all, Messiah of the world. And he looks at you and says, I'm calling, I'm telling you, you are my friend. I mean, I think about, think, think about it. And we, one day we're going to hear that in person. Can you imagine being in heaven and in the presence of God and all the redeemed gathered around, maybe not even in one place. I think there's going to be moments in that experience in heaven where it's not just billions at a feast, but where Jesus comes to somebody's house and He catches you while you're doing your stuff, whatever we do there, whatever your responsibility or task is, and He just comes to speak to you and He just says, Hey, friend. Hello, friend. And He he speaks to us in that way. Think of the joy in that. But notice what He says from it. Verse 15. I've called you friends for, meaning because, all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. He says, I called you my friend, and here's how I've proven that I am your friend. I've told you everything about God the Father. Everything that He's revealed to me, everything that He has told me to communicate to you, I've told it to you. That's how you know that I'm really your friend. Now again, ask yourself the question all throughout this. Are we really friends with those that we say that we're friends with? You ever seen in a movie or a show, you see it a lot of times in these little dramatic cartoons that they make for kids that we adults get far too involved with sometimes while we watch it with them, you know, and we're following along and there's friends and they're talking back and forth and they're saying, well, we will never tell your secret or, you know, well, I'll never let you down, whatever it may be. And then something comes along, it's a better offer, and one friend sort of abandons the other. And the other one looks at him in that really dramatic moment in the movie and they say, I thought, what? We were friends. <laughs> I thought you were my friend. I'm going to just challenge you up front tonight. There may be a moment where we stand in eternity before the judge of all things in which someone which we had a relationship with on this earth stands before God, not in a merciful way, but not knowing His Son through salvation, standing to be judged for their sin on their own, without the merits of Jesus, going to be condemned for all of eternity. And I don't know that they're going to have this kind of opportunity, but, but I want you to imagine for a moment, that moment like in the movie, and they can look at you and say, I thought we were friends. And why would you not be? Because we never told them what God revealed to us to tell them. We were never willing to share it. We weren't real friends. I want you to show what Jesus, I want you to see tonight what Jesus gives us as a model of friendship. Uh, we, won't, we won't turn there for time's sake. 
to John 10. I'd like you to turn to John 18, if you would, for a moment. Jesus is going to model friendship. And really, this is kind of extra. It's just a point I got excited about reading through John. And it, and, it, and it goes along with this. But I want us to look at this comparison from what Jesus says and what he's willing to do. <laughs> because we say we're friends. We say that we love the world. We say that we love our community and those that we know. We love our kids. We love our husbands or wives, whatever it may be. But are we willing to sacrifice for that relationship? And are we willing to speak truth the way that God has asked us to do so? Jesus does both. Notice, I'll summarize John 10 for you. John 10, Jesus gives the example, the illustration, and he says, here's what I am to you. He says, "There's you're like sheep. The world people are like sheep. And he says, compares himself in two ways. He says, I'm the gate that protects you open and go in and out of the fold to find a place with, and then he says, with the good shepherd, which conveniently also is Jesus. So he says, I'm, I'm the gate, the doorway, in and out, and I'm the shepherd. And think about what he says makes the shepherd a good shepherd. The good shepherd puts himself at risk for the sheep. Remember, he says, a man will lay down his life for his sheep, right? A good shepherd will. But then he compares it to a hireling, which is like the guy that the shepherd pays when he's on vacation and says, you keep him for a week and I'll pay you when I come back. The hireling doesn't do that. The hireling will not give his life for sheep. The hireling puts the sheep at risk. And then he goes further, and he describes in John 10 a thief or beasts that come in to the fold to steal away the sheep, like a wolf or whatever it may be. He says, thieves come over. Thieves don't come through the gate. They come over the wall and they try to take. But the shepherd defends and sends them off. And then he goes further. He says, because the shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. And I want you to see a beautiful picture. John 18, just for a moment. John 18. I want you to notice, and Jesus, verse 1, spoke these words. So, so he says it in John 10. He says, this is what I am for you. I'm a good friend. I'm a good shepherd. Somebody's going to try to come in and take you, but I'll, I'm willing to lay down my life for you and sacrifice. Notice verse 18, by the book Kedron, where it was a garden into the which he entered in his disciples. Now we know that the Garden of Gethsemane was sort of a, a gated garden. It was hedged about. It was an enclosed space. It says, He entered and His disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed Him, knew the place, for Jesus oft time resorted hither with His disciples. And Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh hither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that would come upon that should come upon Him, Notice this phrase, went forth and said unto them, whom seek he? I want you to picture what just happened. Jesus says, you're like sheep in an enclosed, gated, fenced area, a sheep pen. And there's something that's going to come in to try to get you. And I'm a real shepherd though. I won't forsake you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. And Jesus speaks that in John 10, knowing, in the same way that he says in verse 18, chapter 18, that he knows what's coming. In John 10, he says, this is what I am to you. Then in John 18, what happens? Jesus takes his disciples, his sheep, to an enclosed garden where he often took them. And then who comes? Judas the thief with robbers and wolves of soldiers. And when they enter, what does Jesus do? He could have gotten his sheep to declare war. One of them tried badly. 
he, he could have run out the back. He could have put them in front to defend himself. What does Jesus do? Notice again. Look at the verse. Don't miss it. They come into the garden. And in verse 4, what does it say? Jesus, knowing what was going to come upon him, what did he do? He went to them. What did he do? He took his sheep into an enclosed area. A thief and wolves came to harm them. Because they weren't just probably coming just for Jesus. They would have heard them. That's why the disciples ran in fear. That's why Peter denied him. So he enters in, and what does Jesus do? He does exactly what he said he would do. He takes a step toward them, meets them, and willingly goes to lay his life down for them. What do you see in this about Jesus' friendship? He doesn't just say it. He acts on it, and he does it. And he does it in every form and fashion. Now, we're to follow his love, notice this, not only by giving our life in death for Jesus, but by obeying his commands. Notice back, if you would, a page or two, John 15. Notice back there, if you would, in his description of friendship. He says in verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. But notice, he doesn't necessarily command that that's what we are going to do. Though we should be willing to lay down our life for Christ, and though because we have trusted him for eternal life, we should be willing to lay down our life for many causes, our family and friends. That's not what he's driving at. He's, he's not trying to tell us, I'm going to lay down my life for you, and I want you to all die for me and die for each other. No. What does he tell us in verse 14? With the responsibility of the friendship that he shows toward us, I'm going to lay my life down for you. My expectation for you as my friends, verse 14, you are my friends, if you do whatsoever, I command you. Jesus says, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. That's how I display my friendship. How are you to display your friendship to Christ? By obeying His commands. What commands does He give us? We won't turn there for time's sake, but John chapter 21. I've done a little mini-study on John this week, and it's fairly exciting how it all ties together. We have John 21. Jesus comes to Peter. says, Peter, if you love me, do what? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? If you do, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? If you do, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? If you do, feed my sheep. And then what does he tell Peter? He goes further and he says, Peter, one day you're going to die for me. Remember Peter, what does he do? He turns and he looks at John and says, what about him? And we know that he says of John, well, it doesn't matter. You worry about yourself. So you have two different examples of two different men that obey Jesus in two different ways. Peter dies a death of crucifixion for Jesus. John lives a long life, probably longer than any of the other disciples, and is even cast away for the sake of Christ. But what does John continually do? He keeps declaring the message of Jesus. Why? Because it's what Jesus told him to do. It was his command. And so Jesus says, I'm going to show my love for you by giving myself for you. You show your love for me by obeying my commands. Like, feed my sheep, and go into all the world, and preach and teach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them, bringing and discipling them into in convert. So let me ask you tonight first, are you a friend to Jesus in your life? Because he doesn't just say, if you obey some of my commands, if you obey 50% of my commands, if you obey certain commands, if you obey the important commands. He says, I'm your friend because I'm going to die for you. I've told you everything I can about the Lord, about God the Father. You be my friend by obeying my commands. And, you know, here's the interesting thing about a relationship with God. You don't get to decide if that's what qualifies as friendship or not. Like if, you, if I have a relationship and I'm a friend with 
Rob and Chris, we can kind of decide amongst ourselves what's really important about our friendship and relationship and what do we need to do to count on each other and what, what makes us real friends. I don't get to do that with God Almighty. And he says, here's how I'm going to be your friend and here's how you're going to show friendship to me. We just have to follow that. And he says, you're my friend if you obey my command. Do you obey the commands of God? Because he has told us to tell and he has told us to share the hope of the gospel. So first, are you a friend of God? And then second, and the final thing, are you a friend to others? By the example that we see in John 15, 15, Jesus' friendship toward us is not conditional. He proves his friendship by teaching us and telling us, as he did his disciples, of God the Father. Jesus enables his friends. He says, here's how I'm going to show you that you're my friends. I'm going to introduce you to my Father. And I'm going to let you. He says, I am. Here's what Jesus was trying to convince his disciples all of his ministry. I'm God's son. And I am your friend. And here, watch what he does. I'm God's son. And I'm your friend. That's amazing of itself. I'm your friend because I'm going to lay down my life for you and die for you. Which will then allow you to also be God's son. I mean, do you see it? Do you see the love that, that God shows, that Jesus shows? He says, I'm your friend. I'm going to die for you. And I'm so much your friend. I'm the son of God. That should be a big deal that I'm your friend. And I'm going to make a way for you also to be the son of God. I mean, look how glorious this is. Now, apply it to our lives. We're not the son of God, but we are sons of God through Jesus Christ. Sons of God. We are his children. And if I'm a friend with anyone in this world, remember Jesus' command in verse 12, what does he say? Love one another as I have loved you. What does he say all throughout? The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. What is the second? It's like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does he say in Matthew, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, that you love your enemies. Do good to those that use you and are against you. And so how then do we display friendship in this world? We may not think, when we think evangelism, missions, gospel, salvation, your mind might not immediately think friendship. But Jesus is did. Jesus' mind immediately thought of friendship. Because he said there's no greater love that a friend can display to his friend than that he lays his life down for him. So again, make the relation. Jesus says to his apostles, and he says to us, I love you as a friend and I'm willing to die for you because I'm the son of God and you're not. And if I die for you, you can be that too. You can become the sons of God. We then go to others not as the only son of God, but we now with our friends can say, I am a child of God and I can't lay my life down for you to save you, but someone already has. Jesus has. And I would not be a good friend to you if I kept this to myself. If I did not share with you how you can be what I am. I mean, that's, that's literally Jesus' mission on the earth. He comes to the earth to sacrifice for us, to die for us. And his message to the apostles and his message to the world is, I will give myself for you so that you can be what you are not, that I am. Now we sacrifice in our relationship with others and give ourselves willingly for the cause of Christ and willing to speak frankly to people and say, 
Here's how you can have what you can't have on your own, but what I have through Christ. Notice how he brings it to him. The love and friendship that Jesus commands us to have toward others is only possible because of how he displayed this love toward us. I want you to think as we close and get ready for just a few minutes, moments to discuss. Jesus illustrates true friendship in John 13 by wiping and washing the disciples' feet, doesn't he? We think a lot, that, well, that's weird. We don't do that in our culture. They did it in Jesus' day. They did do it in Jesus' day. When someone would have someone over to their house, and especially someone of means, and, and they would have guests, their feet, it was customary to wash their feet. But we, we kind of miss the culture. It was not custom for the one throwing the party or the one that was hosting to do the feet washing. It was the place of the servant. That's why Peter rejects it. says, no, you'll never wash my feet. What does Jesus say to him? If I don't have part, you don't allow me to serve you, you have no part of me at all. In, in fact, it says that Jesus took off his robe. I love this. It says that Jesus laid off or set off his robe. The exact same word, original word in Greek that's used. It's the same word that says he lays his life down for his sheep. A friend, greater love hath no man than this, than he lay his life down for his friend. And when it talks about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, it's the exact same word that he says he laid aside his robe to then stoop in humility and wash his disciples' feet to serve them. It's how he displayed love. And it's the command that he has given us. There's the, the mindset or the phrase sometimes, and it's, not, it's nothing evil or bad about it, but you think about the phrase, well, what would Jesus do? And it's, as Christians, we're supposed to approach life and look at a circumstance. What would Jesus do in this circumstance? Well, the truth is, there's certain things Jesus did we can't. Like, I can't heal a man with a withered hand. I can't die on behalf of my family to save them from their sins. So sometimes the better question is not what would Jesus do? Jesus tells us here, you're not my friends if you do what I would do. You're my friends if you do what I command you to do. So sometimes the better question is not what would Jesus do, is what has Jesus, what has he commanded us to do? And if I obey the commands of Jesus, I display love toward him and friendship toward others. That is the essence of sharing the gospel with those around us. It's not that we're trying to work somebody through a plan, and it's not just that we're trying to get somebody to make a decision. We are trying to be to others what Jesus has been for us. And that task is a whole lot more... Attainable is not the right word. But that's what he's called us to. And he's called us to obey. So for a few minutes tonight, I want you to think, number one, are you a friend? Who would you say you are friends with in this world? And then I want you to ask yourself, who are you friends with in this world that is lost and without the Lord? And then ask yourself, by these two qualifiers, are, you, are we really their friends? In the way that Jesus says, I am your friend. Jesus says, I'm your friend, and here's how you can know it. We have said of others, I'm your friend. But how would they know it? Just because we listen, just because we're loyal, just because we're faithful, just because we make them laugh, all those are important, but they're not ultimate. And so let's pray that the Lord will allow us to bring our friends to Christ in this way. I want us to take the last eight, nine, maybe ten minutes or so and discuss. We've had some good discussion the last couple of weeks. It's been neat to sit in with a couple of different groups and it's been neat to just stand up here and hear 
people speaking. You see there the discussion. I doubt you're going to work your way all the way through this. Maybe you can do some more at home or meet up with a friend this week. It's the same three questions under each of these. If you have this booklet, if you're just kind of joining us you don't have the booklet yet, then um, there's a few more at the back of the Welcome Center. We just are ordered, we're getting 50 more of them. Some people have already asked. We have somebody that's going to work through it with all their kids, um, their adult kids. We're excited about that. They have somebody that's going to work through it with their neighbor and stuff. So we're getting some more of them for you, and that's what they're for to use it. But each chapter, God's holiness, how do we teach people about that? God's just, God is loving, and he is gracious. And so there's three questions. They're basically the same three questions about each of them. And I want you to discuss that. What are some misconceptions that people have about holiness, God's holiness? And then how would you describe God's holiness after studying it from this and from more particularly God's word? And then why is that thing significant when you're talking about the gospel? I'll give you a hint. Like, for instance, God is holy. Why is that significant in the gospel? Because it makes us all accountable to him. You, you can't start with, don't you want to be forgiven from something if you don't start with justice? That's where Jesus started. There's a problem. There's an issue. And mercy and grace don't have any meaning if there's nothing that you're being spared from. And so that's a hint on that one. Let's take the last oh, let's eight or nine minutes or so and discuss it together. You can do, there's a couple. Last few weeks we've gotten in groups of four or five. I think that would be great to do that again. A couple couples together if you see somebody sitting around you. Um, you say, I don't know somebody so well. That's even better. If we can't do this discussion amongst Christians, we're going to really struggle with it amongst our lost friends. And so let's discuss these things with the mindset of we're trying to point people toward the Lord in this way. All right, let's take the last eight or nine minutes or so, discuss those things together. And um, in fact, uh, let's pray. And then whenever you're finished, I'm not going to limit your discussion. Whenever you're finished with your discussion in a little while, then um, you can be dismissed. Lord, we are thankful for your word and that you are our friend because you laid your life down for us. And through your word, you've told us everything that we can understand about the Lord. So help us to be a friend in the same way. Sacrifice, to serve, to take off our cloak of pride and to serve others, to give, to provide, to love, to listen, but all with the goal of being able to speak openly and to speak frankly about who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Bless the few minutes that we have together in our efforts as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take uh, eight or nine minutes or so and, and finish up tonight.